7, 1 through 14. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. <coughs> pray. Father, I thank you today just for the book of Ecclesiastes. I thank you for the joy of, of walking through this book as a faith family. Uh, I pray this morning for pastors around our city, in our nation, in the world. I pray that you would equip them by your spirit to faithfully preach the gospel through whatever text you've laid on their heart, because the gospel all points to Christ and his work. And so I pray that you would use the men you have called to do your work for their good and to bring you glory. Thank you for all of Scripture today. Thank you that we have Scripture in our language. Take that for granted so many times. I pray for people like the Smiths that we'll have a chance to host in a few weeks and for others who are doing the hard work of, of translating Scripture into uh, different languages that don't have it yet. I'm mindful today as we read this text that deals so much with death that there may be those among us who have wounds that may be opened by contemplating this text. And may you and your word be the balm for those wounds today. Help us today not to shrink back from hard truths that we, we read. I pray that we would not only be confronted with them, but that they would transform our lives and our hearts the way that we live our lives so that your nature is reflected through us as we live. In the reality of living in a broken world where we all face death, may we rejoice in and live in the hope of a salvation. I just ask you to help me today as I proclaim your word for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. You can be seated. It's good to see you today. I see a lot of visitors today, and I don't know the, the circumstances that brought you here, but I want to echo what Matthew said earlier. We are so glad to have you at Trace to, uh, to worship with us today. We do. We walk through books of the Bible, uh, alternating from Old Testament to New Testament, 
and usually changing genres when we go back from one to the other. And we are in the book of Ecclesiastes about halfway through right now. And so uh, this is the text that we have today. Um, I would ask you this today, just, just by a show of hands, and, and I apologize if this has already been asked because I haven't been in the room for all of the sermons, but how many people in this room have been through some kind of a sermon series on the book of Ecclesiastes? If you have, just raise your hand. Mm, not a lot. Okay, that's kind of what I thought it would be. That's one reason I'm thankful that we do what we do here at Trace is because uh, if you went where you would naturally want to go, this may be something you'd want to stay away from. Some pretty deep truths, some pretty hard truths in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, some people ask a lot of times how much, this is a question pastors get a lot, how much, how much time do you, do you spend preparing a sermon? Well, uh, I'm sure some OCD guys, which is not me, would have a down-to-the-minute answer for that. They could tell you exactly how they did it. If Tim Tollison was preaching today, I bet he could tell you exactly how many minutes it took him to prepare. But I, I don't have a set time like that, but I spent much time just getting to know the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want to tell you, if you're just coming and listening on Sunday to what we preach, uh, I'm glad you're doing that, but I want to encourage you to dive deeper through the resources that, that Matthew mentioned earlier. This is uh, such a wonderful book. If you read books like Isaiah, Jeremiah, some of the prophets, you really need some kind of a knowledge of Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew world at that time. Ecclesiastes doesn't read like that. It is a person who is a king stepping down off of his throne and becoming just like the rest of us and speaking into the things that face all of us in a universal way. And so this passage today is going to do that. Uh, now I have one more question. And I want you to give this some thought. And I don't want, you don't, this is not an answer out loud thing, but, but just think honestly and contemplatively about what are the three, three, or more, three or four events or short periods in your life that have had the deepest impact on your life, good or bad? What are those things? The reason I ask that is most often what we want to remember is the good memories, right? We want to block out the bad ones. But in all honesty, the things that so often have had the most impact on our life have been things that have caused mourning. And so this passage deals with that. It's something that we all have to face. So some truths that we want to bring out today that we see in this passage. Uh, in the first four verses, the preacher talks about wisdom in the light of the reality of death. The reality of death. I, I was preparing for a sermon one time, and I, I ran across a government study that was done, I think, in the early 2000s. And uh, your tax dollars hard at work spent millions of dollars on this study and the analyzation, the, the, the focus of the study was to see what caused people to die. What caused people to die? Broke down by what's the percentage, what are the odds that you would die by a snake bite? What are the odds that you would die by getting struck by lightning? All sorts of things like that in great detail. Very useful information, Right? And at the very end of the, I'm going to paraphrase the end of the study, there was a, and this is legitimate, you could look it up online. At the end of the government study, there was a, 
a line that said, the conclusion is that 100% of everyone will die. Thank you, government. Appreciate that. So, wisdom in light of the reality of death. He gives us wisdom in, in contrasting birth and death. In this first verse, a good name is better, better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It's very similar to an earlier Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor better than silver or gold. It says a lot about good names. Ointment that he talks about here especially was, was much harder to come by in that day, but what he's really contrasting here is, is birth and death. We generally think of, when rightly so, birth as a, a joyous occasion. And like many of the other Proverbs to follow, he, he isn't saying that one thing, contemplating a birth is bad, and that another, uh, contemplating a life lived is good, but rather that the day of death reveals more to us than the day of birth. And in that sense, it is better. I remember distinctly, and all of you could echo memories like this, I remember the, each of the days that my two daughters were born and the joy that those days brought and, and a memory that was stuck in my mind. And I'm sure that there were some transformative things going on in my life during that. But when I contrast that, my earliest memory of meeting death up close and personal was with my grandmother. I was about 23 years old. I was very close to my grandmother. Uh, I had experienced some death of some relatives in my life, but, but not really to the point where I was grieving, where I was mourning, where there was a, a loss there. And this was an unexpected death. And I remember going through that time and thinking, God, how could you let this happen? Why did this happen? And beginning to understand through that process that God was doing things sometimes that, that I, would, I didn't understand at the moment. I may never understand until eternity. And yet he was teaching me to trust him. He was teaching me to reflect on the life that she lived. The, the, the writer talks about the good name, and this speaks to the reputation of someone, but not of someone who was good in their own right, but one who truly feared God and sought him. One of the most frustrating things to me is, is really to go to a funeral and to hear things like this. Well, if anybody deserved to go to heaven, old ain't so-and-so did. That's, that stings me because I want to say, well, I, I'm not sure about Aunt so-and-so, but she didn't, and nobody deserved to go to heaven. Her goodness is in Christ, and that's what this, this passage points to. Uh, I would ask you, if you happen to attend the funeral, my funeral one day, and somebody says something like that, you have my permission to just jack slap them right there <laughs> because... First of all, you're going to go, you know that ain't true, right? And secondly, we know that's not true of anyone. So that's not what the preacher is saying here, and he's, he's really saying quite the opposite. It reminds me of, of Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler that we read about in Luke 18. You don't have to turn there, but you remember the, the ruler comes to him, and he says those words, good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus responds to him, 
good? No one is good except God. Of course, this was Jesus' way of declaring himself to be God, the Son incarnate. But the point is, if we're to have a good name, that name must be in Christ and it must be clothed in his righteousness. And so that's the good name that we're living for. The one that at the, at the funeral service points to Christ. It's an opportunity to point to Christ. It's a celebration, it should be, of what Christ has done in somebody's life. So that's the goodness. We see wisdom in rejecting the mixed message of distraction here in verses 2 through 4. Would you agree that we have a lot of distractions in life? A lot of, you can call it spiritual warfare or just worldliness or whatever, but things that try to point us away from God. We see this better than contrast repeated. It's better to mourn than to feast, than to laugh, than to be in the house of mirth. And I want to say there are two distractions that the preacher points us to that keep us from contemplating life and death. And the first is, is really implied here. The second he talks about more implicitly, but it's the distraction of lament. And we want to go through the process of mourning and grieving when someone dies, but, but a person can become so distracted, so hopeless by death and lament that he's chosen it as a way to do life. He's always sad because he's chosen lament as a way to do life, and he never lays it to heart. He never learns what God means to teach us and to point us toward through death. And he forgets that the preacher says in verse 2, the living will lay it to heart. So we're to mourn, but in light of our hope in God, we're not to stay there in that morning. We're not to stay. God just wants to teach us through that morning. But secondly, a distraction that he talks more implicitly about is, is the distraction of delight. So a person can avoid mourning with the constant choice or even an addiction to entertain themselves in an innumerable amount of, amount of ways. Can avoid the heartache and the brokenness in the world by saying, I'm going to entertain myself. That, that's, that's what we see in so much brokenness in the world. You see the contrast in these verses? Verse 3 sounds almost like counterintuitive to us. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. And he says in verse 3, Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. By sadness of face the heart is made glad. That's something you've got to think about to absorb. The only way we're going to get to a, a way our, that our hearts are truly made glad is to walk through sadness at the appropriate time. He talks, talks in the following verses about, about the heart of fools, the, the song of fools, the laughter of fools, all desiring to distract us from our rightly held sorrow and ultimately from our faith in God. And he makes this reference to a pot. It's like a pot. A, a pot imagine a pot that has a healthy plant in it. And you set that clay pot down on these things thorn bushes that have these thick thorns and when you set them down it breaks the pot and that's the picture that he's trying to paint when we in order to avoid sorrow and mourning run to foolish uh, distractions this is what they will do to us they'll break the pot and everything that's healthy in there will go out of it 
He equates the laughter of fools with those thorns. And they eventually fall through. It's, it's false joy. It's temporary. And in contrast, we're told that by sadness of face, by, by contemplating, by facing full on what God is doing in affliction, the heart is made glad. And then he talks about wisdom in light of the temptation to fight folly with folly. The temptation to fight folly with folly. Verse 7. Uh, let me read this verse. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. So we live in a world full of folly. I think you'd all agree with that. Uh, we, and we passionately pursue this eternal truth. We... Um, we have this oppression. We're so oppressed that we're, we're tempted to return a bad thing with a bad thing. And then he continues that thought in verse 8. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Don't fight battles is the truth. Don't fight battles on the battle, battleground of pride. Zacharias Wine says it this way, the grace of wisdom does not fight pride with pride. If both teams turn the lights, turn out the lights, nobody wins. So it, it's kind of like this. It's, it's kind of like most of us, uh, a lot of us guys, we coached at some point some little league, some kind of team. And here's what can happen in that. You, you're coaching a little league team and you're playing and the, the officials of that team may be people who aren't really that concerned to be there they're just trying to, to make a little money and the other team is abusing the rules and they're cheating and they're doing things wrong and they're running the score up on your team and you're tempted as a coach to say let's just do the same thing it can be justified here let's do that and equal things out and lots of time we can be tempted to do things whether it's in the workplace or, or even in a church family, we can be tempted to do the same things. When people start uh, kind of hitting below the belt, when they're doing things that are wrong, we're tempted to return the same thing to them. But, but the preacher says here, in light of the kingdom of God, in light of something bigger that God is doing than what we, are, what we see going on right here, then we would, should... Stay away from that temptation. We should not fight on the battlegrounds of pride. We should not uh, return folly for folly, but pursue eternal truth, even when we're being persecuted, even when we're being done wrong. Verse 9 speaks to anger. He says, um, let's read that verse one more time. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. I'm not going to ask you here, but, but I want to ask you today just, just with, to, to reveal this to yourself. Do you struggle with anger? And why is that? Here's the thing. The anger drug will own you if you're quick to give it space. If you give anger space in your life, if that is your response to being done wrong or... or uh, when you see something done wrong to overreact in anger and I'm not talking about righteous anger I'm talking about anger that causes you to react instead of respond 
the more often that you act on that, the more often that you overreact to your anger, the harder that it becomes to control it. It takes over your being. And so, once again, the preacher is telling us, we need to look at the big picture, the big picture of what God is doing, and he's come to eradicate those things from your life. And then verse 10, here's another delusion. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. We've all heard this. I wish things could be like they used to be back in the good old days. The truth I put down there in your notes is that the good old days weren't really the good old days. And for the believer, the good old days are yet to come. And we need to live that way. A couple of examples come to my mind. Uh, Matthew's brought up Netflix a few times uh, in his sermon, so I'm going to bring up Netflix. My wife and I, lots of times, as an unwinding time at night, watch Netflix. And I'm going to say this unashamedly, we watch The Andy Griffith Show. Good thing to watch right before bed. And we don't binge watch, Matthew. (laughs) So, uh... (laughs) So we're watching the show, and, and it looks so pristine. Everything's wonderful in Mayberry, right? People get in little squabbles, and then they all work out, and everything's hunky-dory before the end of the show, la di da di da right? Hmm. Did you know that Andy Taylor went through three marriages in his life? Did you know that Don Knotts went through three marriages of his life? Did you know that Aunt B died uh, with a tremendous hoarding problem? Did you know that Aunt B couldn't stand to be around children? Aunt B, in reality. And so the thing is, the way that we remember things and see things sometimes is not the way they really were. I wish it could be like this. I wish it could be like this. Do you remember how it was in junior high? Oh, it was so good. The schools were so much better. Do you know what I remember in junior high? A smoking tree. A smoking tree right outside. So, parents of youth, would you like that? Your seventh and eighth graders would be hanging around the smoking tree, right? Maybe not so good. Don't be caught in this temptation to remember things. The best days for believers are ahead. Anything, your best day here on earth will pale in comparison to your first day in heaven. Don't forget that. The other example that I thought of there was, was uh, <laughs> 70s on 7. Anybody got serious radio? Sometimes I turn our serious radio to 70s on 7, and you think, man, the music that I listened to when I was, I'm dating myself here, okay? But the music that I listened to when I was growing up was so cool. It's so much cooler than the music they have now. Turn it on 70s on 7. Oh, it's a great song. I remember that. And then you go, Whoa. Did those lyrics actually say that in that song? Eee. 80s on 8. Eee. Uh, mm, turning on my Spotify channel, my Trace channel, because uh, it's not the way you remember it. That's the point. It's not as good as you remember it. So it's foolish. It's foolish to, um, to say, why were the former days better than these? God is renewing his creation. And eventually, Christ is coming again. 
And we're moving toward that. And so we need to look forward to that. Our best days are ahead of that. And not only should we agree with that and say amen when we're sitting here at Trace today, but that's the way that we should live our lives. The people that we're around every day should know that, that the best days are ahead for us. One pastor said it this way of these things that we've just talked about, that that pride, anger, naivety, nostalgia, they're like Stalin's communists waiting to deliver Poland out of the hand of Hitler's Nazis. What looks like a rescue only recovers and repeats the oppression. When God's people walk out of God's house and respond to the folly that they find under the sun by becoming foolish, themselves there's little wonder why it can seem that god is nowhere to be found in the news in our neighborhoods or in our daily toil the common denominator i would say of all of those things of pride and anger of naivety of nostalgia is that for the believer for concentrating on those things for looking to them to cause us to have an escape from pursuing god it's a lack of faith in god It's going back to what we were. And Paul says over and over in the New Testament, why would you do that? Why would you go back to what you were before you were a new creature in Christ? And then lastly, in the last few verses, we see that wisdom in the light of prosperity and adversity. He points out in these verses, I just want to read these again. Verses 13 and 14. Consider Consider the work of God who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, there's that word again, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. I don't want you to take that word consider lightly. He's talking about a deep thought here about about consider what God has done when when death comes. Consider what God is doing when adversity comes. And it's kind of ironic that, that those are the moments that we begin to really grow in Christ so many times because we have to. I look back on in church history when I see the, the periods where uh, people were being martyred for their faith across the world uh, and they still are today I remember when Christians were, were dying because of plagues and all kinds of causes like that wars, things like that and it seems like Christians before the western world developed, before the American dream came into being before it affected the way we think so much it seemed like if you read the, the histories that, that Christians in those days dealt with death so much better. And it's because, I believe, they thought eternally. They thought beyond what is the here and now. So we need to consider what God is doing even in the middle of death, even even when something bad happens, even in the middle of adversity. On the flip side of that, it's good to rejoice when things go well. It's good to rejoice when things go well for yourself and for others we should always run toward God in the middle of our adversity that's what he tells us in these verses and then lastly the knowledge of our good 
sovereign God keeps us from being paralyzed in making decisions in daily life. So the question that I would have for us today is, is really kind of what are we contemplating? What is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. And so as we, as I want to read this passage from Psalm chapter 39, verses 4 through 7. I want you to read what, hear what the psalmist has to say. Psalm chapter 39, verses 4 through 7. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am, because you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my life is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely nothing, surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O oh Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. The psalmist points to the same thing that, that the preacher points to here in saying that we're not asking God to reveal to us more of the details. We're asking for God to reveal of us a deeper knowledge that he is in control. He's in control of the rain. He's in control of the sun, both literally and figuratively, figuratively in our lives. And we know that the sun shines and the rain falls on both the just and the unjust. The difference should be for us, in light of what Christ has done, in light of our hope in him, how we respond to that rain. And the world should be able to see that. So what are we contemplating? What is our hope? Our hope is in Christ. I want to remind us of a couple of things as, as we wind down our time together. We don't really understand the grounds, the basis for our joy until we're in the house of mourning. It's in weeping that we learn to contemplate the glory of God. And it's in these times, even as we consider our own death, that we fully realize that Christ has overcome death for us. It's in these times that it becomes less abstract, less figurative, less just thought, and more real life and more to the core of who we are, that our hope truly is in Christ. And that leads me to my second thing. We tend to focus on Jesus' incarnation and rightly so, as, as his choosing to identify with us, coming, uh, being one of us in every way except that of, of sin. Jesus never sinned. And yet, for that and God's perfect plan, because he did that, he, he was humiliated. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was cursed. He was spat upon. And he was hung on a cross where his lifeblood was poured out. Isaiah calls him the man of sorrows. He wept with sorrow at the tomb for Lazarus. And so when you're in mourning, and all of us are going to be in times of mourning sooner or later, and you're considering, you're contemplating, you're meditating upon the greatness of God in that most negative moment, you should remember this. You should remember that not only did he 
die and conquer your death, but that he shares in your sorrow. He knows what your sorrow is. I think that's a very appropriate thing to consider as, as I'm going to ask Mitch to come and we're going to move to the table in just a moment. I want to read one more passage. This was from my sermon text the last time I preached. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Pay closer attention. I think from the passage that we've read in Ecclesiastes 7 today, we can see that there are a lot of ways that we could not pay closer attention to what Christ has done. And so when those moments come and we're distracted by folly, when we're distracted by people mistreating us, when we're distracted by death, at the very moment we should be running to God, because of what Christ has done that we're about to celebrate. We're too tempted to run away from Him. Don't do that. This is part of what Christ purchased for you is that you could run to Him in your deepest hurts. So as we move to the table today, we do this a little bit differently than you may have done it at Trace. This is a table for believers. You don't have to be a member of Trace, but you do, do need to be a, a believer, someone who has put their faith in Christ. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to remember, and we're going to mourn, and we're going to celebrate what Christ has done through his suffering, through his death, and through his resurrection. But as I pray, I want to give a few moments of silence, and, and I want you to just consider that in your own life. Then I'll pray for us, and when I'm done, you can come and receive the elements and go back to where you're sitting. The way we do it at Trace is we gather up at family, as families and pray. And so we'll do that now. Let's pray. And in these moments of silence, would you just ask God to reveal sin, sin patterns in your own life? I know we had a prayer of repentance early, but this is a wonderful opportunity just to spend some time confessing and asking God for forgiveness. Father, I thank you today for your whole counsel. I thank you that all scripture is inspired by you. And so just in light of that, I pray that we would never 
try to duck or dodge or shrink back from any of it. No one likes to talk about death, but it's a reality for everyone. And we need to look no further than the cross to see that. And so today, as we prepare to drink the cup, eat the bread, that reminds us in our core of being that you shed the blood that I should have shed, that you that your body was broken when mine should have been broken. Because myself and everyone in this room were unworthy sacrifices but not you your son was the perfect sacrifice may we grasp that today and may we find hope in this day and in the days to come as we face death even though there's sadness there can be a joy a joy on our faces because of our hope in Christ because this is not it you're doing a much bigger thing and we celebrate that today in the name of Jesus amen you can come forward and get the elements now